0: With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select Campus events, while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears.
1: Hi, let's talk about Pro Plan Sport. Pro Plan Sport is advanced nutrition made to fuel strength and stamina in active dogs like yours. So wherever your next journey together takes you, start it off right with the high-performance fuel your dog needs to keep pushing you every step of the way. Pro Plan Sport. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. You know our trusted partner, TireRack.com, for their fast, free shipping, free road hazard protection, convenient installation options, and their great selection of best tires, like the highly consumer-rated Toyo Open Country AT3. But did you know, they sell other automotive products? Wheels, brakes, suspension, just to name a few. Go to TireRack.com Colin TireRack.com. The way tire buying should be.
2: The Volume.
1: This is Prime Cuts, best of the Colin Coward podcast. Loaded week. Former Alabama quarterback and host of Always College Football, Greg McElroy, and I chop it up. Nick Saban, Georgia, Big Ten realignment, we talk everything. Former Baron Dolphin coach, Dave Wonstadt, been to Bears training camp. Some thoughts on Tua as well. And John Middlecoff and I go deep on a bunch of good NFL topics. But first, my top takes. I was thinking about last year's uh, preseason exhibition season and all the years I've been doing talk radio. It was the slowest preseason of all time because Sean McVay several years ago, as I've noted multiple times, stopped playing starters and all these young coaches followed suit. So the only story we had last year in the preseason was Kenny Pickett, who, you know, was a good college quarterback, not stupendous. He wasn't a a hot uh, Caleb Williams, Andrew Luck, Trevor Lawrence, uh, prospect, not even a Kyler Murray, Deshaun Watson, Baker Mayfield prospect. He's a solid guy who had a lot of college starts. And I remember thinking after about two weeks of Kenny Pickett discussion, thank God he plays for the Steelers. Uh, what if he had played for the Jaguars? There was just no story. This year's preseason feels entirely different. First of all, there's three first round quarterbacks, all could succeed, but I do think one of them's fascinating, Anthony Richardson for the Colts, not only because it's 6'5, 255. He is big Ben Cam Newton-like, Josh Allen-like, where he will just be such a force, a productive force running the football with that new offensive coach, Shane Steichen, and a brilliant guy who had Herbert and Jalen Hurts. So I think the Colts are going to be a fascinating watch. I don't think they're going to be a great team, but between Jonathan Taylor, the running back, and Anthony Richardson, I think they're going to catch people off guard. I think they're going to look like Cam's rookie year, although he's not as polished as Cam. uh, Big Ben, a little Josh Allen, and a little Lamar Jackson. It's going to be all of that mixed into one. So I think that's fascinating. I think Bryce Young is interesting because Frank Reich is one of those coaches that didn't get a ton of credit because he had reclamation projects. He had to clean up Andrew Luck, clean up Philip Rivers, clean up Carson Wentz. All three, three for three. Frank Reich did an amazing job. Now he gets a rookie, Bryce Young, who I think was head and shoulders above the other quarterbacks coming into this draft. I'm fascinated by that. Also, uh, in this preseason, Sean Payton has said, I'm going to play Russell Wilson. Really Interesting. My guess is Russell reverts to about 75 to 80% of what he was at his prime, but I don't think he's as good. I think quarterbacks that move get hit more. Quarterbacks that get hit more um, age much quicker. I mean, Big Ben got old fast. Cam got old fast. Um, I, you know, I was talking to Michael Vick on FS1 yesterday, and it was about you know year five or six that Michael Vick, the fastest player in the league, couldn't outrun Carolina's outside linebacker, Thomas Davis. And that's when Michael realized – Okay, everything's changed. So I think this preseason's got a lot of stories. Not to mention, I think week one, Buffalo and the Jets and Aaron Rodgers. Listen, man, you look at that Jets' schedule, and that's a tough matchup with Buffalo. Very good front seven. Very good pass rush. Jets start 0-1-1. Fair or not, there's going to be heat on Aaron Rodgers because their early schedule for six games is a gauntlet. So I feel differently about this August. I'm, I'm excited for it. Last year I felt like I was just trying to fill space, but Anthony Richardson, a uh, Bryce Young, a uh, Russell Wilson, all really interesting to me. And the other one I'd throw out there that I, I find myself kind of rooting for is Mac Jones of the Patriots. Uh, I I contend that Mac Jones is as good as Kenny Pickett, not as athletic, doesn't run as well. I think he throws a better football. And I thought um I thought the organization completely got in Mac Jones' way last year. I I think Mac Jones is going to revert to a good B quarterback, sort of a Kirk Cousins with maybe a little better arm. I think Mac Jones, maybe not quite as accurate, but a little better arm. And if Mac Jones becomes Kirk Cousins, then Bill Belichick's back on track and can make the playoffs and win playoff games, maybe the division. So this preseason, pro football fired up. I want to give you a story, though. So as many of you know, last football season, I had Sean Payton joining me four out of five Mondays. He was spectacular. And Sean and I got along great on the air, off the air, dinners, discussions. Uh, I think he trusted me. I certainly learned a lot from him. And as the football season approached the Super Bowl near the end, he had asked me, uh, I think I can share this now. Hey, what, uh, what's my market value? What should I be looking at here? He was really interested in Fox. He liked Fox. He liked broadcasting and he really enjoyed it. He liked living on the beach in Los Angeles. Um, he just loved it. He was all over town. He was really genuinely happy and he was really committed to it. He really cared about it. He made calls. He was terrific and may still be someday. But he was really committed and very focused. And then one day, he wasn't because the Denver Broncos offered him four and a half to five times more than Fox did. A man is as loyal as his options, as comedian Chris Rock once said. For those belly aching about USC, UCLA, Washington, Oregon leaving the Pac-12, this is a conference that has continued to drop the ball, hired the wrong people to run the conference, been slow to see stuff about the future of college sports that appears obvious, sometimes stubborn, nose in the air, uh, a little too precious for their own good. And so the Big Ten is a bigger, broader conference. It's a better conference. Smack dab in the middle of the country with that Midwestern work ethos. Even though they produce significantly larger revenue than the Pac-12, they don't have their arrogance. And maybe it's because the Stanford, Cal, UCLA excellence, academically, historically, whatever it is. But the Big Ten is big boy stadiums sold out stadiums better tv contracts more committed financially more committed fan bases more committed boosters that's where you have to go what in the world has cal ever done for the pac-12's football conference why would you be loyal to that why would you be loyal to an oregon state arizona game in corvallis what does it mean this is a better conference a better opportunity and sometimes it's survival of the fittest and survival of the brightest and survival of the future we're seeing the globalization of economies college football this is like globalization and when i hear the belly aching my takeaway is what are we losing here some regional rivalries washington's already said they want to play washington state all right Okay, Oregon will probably continue to play Oregon State. All right, we're not losing a lot here. And I can tell you firsthand that USC has been looking and discussing moving away from the conference for the last four years. And then they finally did it. So, you know, when I, when I hear anybody in any industry clamoring for loyalty, my takeaway is always, have you ever been offered something that's spectacular? a role, a job, a salary, a relocation, an opportunity. It's easy to bang that loyalty drum when nobody's clamoring for your talent or your team or your business. Life is about opportunities. The four best football programs in the Pac-12, arguably, three for sure, Washington, Oregon, USC, and then Utah is better than UCLA, but sometimes market size matters. They're all going to greener pastures, greener in terms of revenue, in terms of stadium capacity, a commitment. And I hear this, too. Well, what about the other sports? What about them? They lose money. College football drives the bus. So you're going to take care of football first. If you're in a family and you paid all the bills, shouldn't you have the greatest say? You know, when you look at the NCAA March Madness tournament, CBS foots the bill. They pay for the wedding. If I paid for the wedding, don't I get a say in the seating chart? So if CBS says, we're not going to pick what teams get in, but we'd like a say in the second and third round matchups, potentially, why shouldn't they? They're paying for the wedding. They just want a say in the seating chart. So I, I, I grew up with Pac-12 football, but it has been eroding for years. It's out of touch. It's too precious, too snooty. And the Big Ten's a better product now and going forward. It's not even arguable. Well, Greg McElroy was at the very early stages of the Alabama um, dynasty and the early stages of the dynasty quarterbacks got no effing credit <laughs> it was all defense now it's not about linebackers and safeties and corners now saving the brilliant um man that he is has really pivoted and transitioned to more of an offensively dynamic um dynasty and 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 greg i want to bring you in on this The world changed, and a lot of people, Greg, don't change with the world. And I got to give Saban a lot of credit. About the time Lane Kiffin got there, he started really, really upping his game with offensive players. When he started your your years, it was McLean, the linebacker. It was corners. It was – right – and guys like you were like, well, it, Greg just hands the ball off, and I always feel like, no, Greg actually played in the league. Greg was really good. But when you look at it now, <laughs> there are some remnants of it. But when did you notice that it really pivoted to more of a USC feeling dynasty or a, a um, you know a Mac Brown dynasty where the offense is a sixty forty advantage?
3: I mean, I think it's it's well observed. It had to have been fourteen when Lane Kiffin came in, and may, and it's easy to look at it through the lens of the USC because that's her lane that <laughs> came from. So right. they really started to acknowledge there was a time and a shift in college football at that time where Ole Miss was starting to roll a little bit, and they needed to kind of start scoring some points. Auburn had just been to the national championship in 2013 on the heels of a high. Up- Obtain high-tempo offense that really created a lot of conflict for the defense. I think Coach Saban started to realize, man, it's going to be really hard to win games 21-13 moving forward. So we're going to have to get real comfortable winning games 42-41, which he's had to do a couple times. Now, I actually think, Colin, where it's starting to go back, though, because teams can now simulate with their scout teams the tempo. They can simulate the quarterback play. They can simulate the run pass options. But what they can't simulate is incredible offensive line play. A fullback that's coming at you 100 miles an hour and blowing up your middle linebacker. So I actually think the pendulum's starting to shift back the other way. And we've kind of seen that with Nick Saban's hire of Tommy Reese. Because at Notre Dame, we knew what he was all about. It was three yards in the cloud of dust right downhill until you liked it. So, I wonder if you're sensing something similar in college football as well. Well, I,
1: I, I say um, you can't really look at Georgia and say we could duplicate that. Okay, so – Right. The state of Georgia. You better recruit. You better You better be able right. to get
3: some dudes in on defense. Georgia was always
1: the sleeping giant in college football. I mean, for years and years, you would talk to NFL scouts and they're like, why doesn't Georgia win more? Um, you know, we always know that the state of Alabama, Louisiana, Florida, Texas, California have a lot of players. Ohio. Right. Georgia now has as many D1 players as California, and you have a third of the population or a quarter of the population. So I don't think Georgia is something you can duplicate. They do remind me a little of Alabama early, where it's a defensive culture. Um, with very capable quarterbacks who are going to get drafted. You, A.J. McCarron, maybe not superstars, maybe not like like a a Caleb Williams or a Vince Young, sure, but right. it's a defensive-leaning culture. I just think they recruit at a different level, and George has always been a sleeping giant. Um, but, I, you know, I, I've said this for years, um, even though I work at Fox and we have the Big Ten, and I said this for years when I worked at ESPN. People, SEC dominates recruiting, draft day and Saturday get over it uh it's it's the best conference here's though what's really fascinating by including Texas and Oklahoma and I think specifically Texas that's another game on the schedule that's going to be it's becoming an arms race Texas money Texas coaching I know the SEC fans thumps their chest But do you really want to face LSU, Georgia, Florida, Texas in one season? Are is there anybody in the South that's going, this isn't potentially. And you're going to add Clemson and Florida State here in the next 18 months as well. Could you become just too rich? You're the AFC. You're too powerful. There's too many stars.
3: I I think that there are programs. Mississippi State, a good example. When the schedules came out for the twenty-four season, Mississippi State didn't have Alabama on the schedule. They didn't have many of their SEC West foes, and they were doing parades through the middle of Starkville. But, but hang on, that's your closest team as far as proximities concerned. Even more, even closer as far as just straight mileage from Starkville and Tuscaloosa than it is to Oxford, Mississippi, where Ole Miss resides. And they said, "No, no, no, we don't want to play them." So I think for some, they are a little bit. Not want to say intimidated, but it's they kind of acknowledge where they are at in the pecking order. But I also think too, if players are going to flock to it and the money's going to be there. But we look at the – I mean, the Big Ten is comparable. Yes. I mean, I think, I think Wisconsin's an unbelievable program with tremendous history and success. We know what Michigan is. We know what Ohio State is. I've seen Michigan State at their best, even though they didn't have their best that day, but they were an 11-win team 10, 12 years ago, playoff team back in 15. SC is, I think – you referenced Georgia as a sleeping giant. SC, to me, has been the sleeping giant for two decades because there was a time when I was 15 years old when I never thought I'd see them lose a game. I think UCLA is dangerous because Chip Kelly now in the NIL era with his NFL pedigree understands how to work that system. Washington is just getting started under killing Morse. So I don't think there's one right now that is significantly more difficult than the other. I think the SEC's bottom is better than the Big Ten's bottom. But at the top, you have very capable programs with tremendous resources at their disposal.
1: Um, as a Pac-12 diehard and loyalist, uh, I had told friends five <laughs> years ago. That um, it wasn't going to survive. And my takeaway was once the NFL came back to Los Angeles with two teams, is that, you know, Pete Carroll was in a time, no NFL in L.A., all the resources, all the resources, all the time, sellouts, um, and also uh, people were spending their money on USC. People were totally supportive of USC. Uh, games were sellouts. Also, you didn't have a, a Pac-10 tournament you could lose. You didn't have to play a semifinal game. If you were great and you beat your Oregon States, Arizona States and Washington, you ended up playing for the national championship if somebody yes. thought you were good enough. So it's a different time. Um And, and so I'm not uh I, not that I'm not bothered. I'm bummed out about the Pac-12 But I it was it's a SEC Big Ten money is just greater. How is that viewed in the South? How do you look at it? You guys always think we're soft out here anyway, but how is it viewed (laughs) that the four best teams are basically going to join the enemy in the Big Ten?
3: Well, I don't know if I want any of my uh, Southern friends to know that I'm actually originally from Los Angeles. Um, so, I, I, you know, I don't want to be perceived as soft. I don't think you are, necessarily. I do think that there is a bit of a perception that when it's good against good and best against best, the likelihood of the SEC winning that game is higher than that of what we see sometimes from the Big Ten. I mean, Ohio State did beat Alabama in 14, has beaten the SEC teams, came within a field goal away of probably being the national champion last year. But those have been more few and far between, even dating back to the 2006-2007 when the Big Ten just had a difficult time matching up on an annual basis against the best that the SEC had to offer. That's why the SEC won every championship from 08 all the way up until 2013 when Florida State finally brought it home. So I think that will be kind of an interesting evaluation. It's going to be a tug of war. I mean, we don't like them, they don't like us type of mentality for Big Ten fans and for SEC fans. Some will pound their chest about the money earned. some will pound their chest about the ratings. Everyone's seemingly trying to find an edge. But at the same time, I still feel like the edge – is that both leagues are beyond elite. It's just whether or not now the Big Ten, which doesn't have as much talent density as the SEC, if they'll be able to go south and attract kids up to the north to play at some of those places with a few less Division I-level, high-caliber prospects that they would normally have at their disposal in the SEC. Like South Carolina goes down the street. They can get 15 guys that can play high-level D1 ball. Iowa might have to go 250 miles in every direction and they might not find that many. So I think it's just a little bit more difficult when it comes to the recruiting pipeline. But if the identities are clearly established in the Big Ten, I think they can play with anybody.
2: Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at legalshield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms.
0: There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge.
1: I love Saban. I think sometimes he can be, um, if Nick wants to talk about something, he's going to go to the podium and he's going to find something that can get him into what he really wants to talk about. He does this all the time, <laughs> about three times a year. It's like, I'm going to talk about transfer portal. I don't care what your question is. I'm going to bring it up. And there have been two different occasions where he's complained about the NIL. And he said, you know, it's not even, it's not fair. And my takeaway has always been, that's a message. And my, my, My gut feeling was he's a little concerned about Texas, that the fact that Texas money is like USC can't compete with it. Phil Knight and Oregon can't compete with it. The Longhorns have two to three billionaire donors. And that when (laughs) Nick talks about the NIL, my takeaway is he's doing some battles with Sark and some of these they're wrestling people away. I mean, they're getting great recruits. That's my take. What is yours when he complains about the NIL? Because Alabama's collective, I'm sure, is just fine. Why is he doing that?
3: (laughs) I I think it's as much calling to rally the troops of his own fan base. Everyone made a big deal about the argument between Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban back in the summer of 22. It was never about Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban. It was never about Alabama against Texas A&M. What he was doing in what he thought was a controlled environment amongst friends and family, unknowing that there was televisions there and all this other stuff, he was basically saying, hey, look, this these guys, look at the recruiting class they were just able to bring home. You guys better step it up. That was a call to action right. for his own fan base. I think more so than it was being frustrated with the current system. Look, I mean, are there as many billionaire donors in the state of Alabama as there are in the state of Texas? No, but I would be willing to probably go probably on the record and saying I'd be willing to bet that people worth five or 600 million are putting up a higher percentage of their net worth to make sure that Alabama succeeds than maybe in Texas or in California or other places. It just means a lot in this particular state. So I will be interested to see how that all unfolds and and how the arms race really ends up working out. I'm really actually more interested though, not as much in NIL, but what would you do if you were one of those teams right now that is perceived to not have that war chest of NIL at your disposal, if you're behind as far as your, your as far as your approach right now and your television contract, I don't want to say Florida State and Clemson because I think they have enough resources to be able to support them on the recruiting trail. Just look at how they've fared in recent years. But what message would you send if you were one of those teams that was lacking behind and not a part of the big two or hopefully en route to the big two?
1: Well, Greg, my belief is, is that college football is going to become a little bit like college basketball, that the playoff is going to be a big chunk of the sport. It will go to 12. Then I think it will go to 16 or 24. Now, people are concerned that it'll ruin the college football regular season. And here's why it won't. Because, Greg, March Madness did not kill college basketball's regular season. We watched Leitner. We watched the running Rebels. We watched Georgetown. We had March Madness. What has killed college basketball is one-and-done culture. The right. quality's not good. The playoffs are not going to hurt college football. Because you watch LSU play Georgia, there's 34 NFL players on the field. Because of the cultural reality of college football, you have to play three years. Most guys play four. You have grown men playing. People think by adding to the playoff, it'll hurt college football's regular season. And I said this two days ago on my show. Texas is playing Bama. You're not watching really (laughs) george is playing lsu or oklahoma you're not watching really usc's at michigan you're watching and you're watching even though they made me to get in the playoff you're watching because caleb williams is going to be against their first round quarterback pick it's harbaugh and lincoln riley play end of year playoffs don't kill the sport lack of quality has killed college basketball Hell. Victor Wembanyama, he didn't even play college basketball. Scoot Henderson, Jalen Green. So as long as you're forced to go to college, I'm going to watch Georgia, Bama, LSU, Texas, Oklahoma, USC, Michigan, Ohio State. So, But I do think, Greg, to your initial question, the bottom part of that, 10, 11, 12. That's going to be the area where an Oregon State can win that Mountain West if that happens and they can get in. You're going to get four from the SEC, four from the Big Ten, one or two from the Big 12. But instead of getting like Cincinnati and we argue about it, you'll get two of those. You'll get two of those. And so I I, I think what will happen is we're going to do 12 for about four years. It's going to make everybody a fortune. And everybody's going to go, all right, let's go to 16. (laughs) And it won't hurt the sport. You're going to watch Auburn, Alabama, even if you played a second time. Greg, you and I have watched March Madness since we were kids. If Duke and Carolina play in the Elite Eight for the fourth time, we're watching. (laughs) (laughs) you're right. There's no denying that. But I am curious
3: your thoughts. Are we getting to a point in the NIL era, in the college football world, where they're looking at the top 25, the coaches poll came out the other day, and people are saying, all right, how many teams can win it? And people aren't getting past five right now as far as teams that can actually win the championship. Now, can a Caleb Williams elevate his team to a level that is just unrecognizable and maybe pull off two upsets and route to a championship? Sure. But the Vince Young taking over the game against USC back in 05 doesn't feel like it's as capable nowadays. Do you still think that Cinderella or a run like a Cinderella is possible in college football?
1: Yeah, I I do. Because I think um, the SEC's always had more elite athletes. But the game used to be um, tighter and smaller. And that Nick Saban could suffocate you. I watched Ohio State play Georgia. And just because of those receivers for Ohio State State and C.J. Stroud, they moved that ball. I thought they were the better team that day. (laughs) Right. Caleb Williams, Quinn Ewers, C.J. Stroud. The game is, is, you know, if you go back, Greg... And go back to Nebraska when they were winning titles. They had one receiver wide. Right. I mean, everybody was jammed up on the (laughs) size of my screen. The game is so fast and so wide. And so many young players now want to be quarterbacks or wide receivers that nobody, including Nick Saban or Georgia, is going to cover Marvin Harrison. You, You can't do it. And so I think the USC's and the Texas's and the Notre Dame's may need to have a Caleb Williams or a Vince Young. Okay. They have to make up something right? Stetson Bennett's good. Caleb Williams is different. Trevor yeah. Lawrence beats Bama. Those schools to beat the SEC King have to be better at quarterback and probably transcendent. You know, a Trevor Lawrence, that that's a different, Caleb's a different kind of number one pick. I mean, Baker was a number one pick, Caleb. That's not close. Right. And I do think the field is so spread now and the offensive coaching is so good that if you have that superstar quarterback and you're 85% of Georgia's roster, Alabama's roster, you can win. I watched Tennessee last year drop a, was it like a 50-burger on Alabama? They couldn't right. stop them with Henn and Hooker.
3: I, I, that's it. They've scored 52. Look at you. I mean, thanks uh, for rubbing it in and bringing it up. I appreciate, appreciate the reference. <laughs> uh, I am curious your thoughts on this because I don't think anyone in the world does a better job with analogies and being able to recreate the idea and the visual. If I'm listening to you, you can sum up th- something up. And I'm like, how did he come up with that? And I tried to do my best Colin Coward impression and said, if you put too much on the quarterback's shoulders, it's like the quarterback is the bicep and all you do are curls. Meanwhile, your triceps are atrophy." Your pecs are atrophy, your legs are atrophy. If you put too much on that position, it's gonna actually result in the rest of your team not being as good. Now it's totally opposite from what you just described, but I think there's a real analogy to be made at say Alabama, maybe even USC to a certain extent last year. At Ohio State at times, especially on defense back in the end of the Urban Meyer era, early, early era of of what Ryan Day is doing.
1: He's the former Dolphins head coach, Chicago Bears head coach, Cowboy defensive coordinator, part of the Super Bowl 27 win, longtime Pitt coach, One a natty is a Miami D.C. Rose Bowl, D-line coach for USC, analyzing football for NBC Sports in Chicago, the Big Ten Network, 670 the score in Chicago, <laughs> and on the 33rd team, which um, has been a really a quickly growing website full of former NFL front office. Guys and coaches that I really like. It's Dave Wonstadt. So um, last time we talked, you said Chicago's a seven, eight-win team. Uh, you were at practice Wednesday. They've now added a rush end from the Ravens who was on the market. You were at practice Wednesday. Do you still feel like it's a seven-eight-win team? I do.
4: But I gotta say this, Colin, when you were reading that introduction. Sounds to me like a guy couldn't hold a job very long anywhere. (laughs) But, no, the uh, Bears, yeah, I was up there. I'll tell you what, they have been fantastic to me. Uh, I spent a lot of time uh, with George McCaskey when I just happened to bump into him when I got there. And I was up with Matt Eberflus' office. We were talking defense and coverages on the board. Uh, and then st- stood with Ryan Poules most of the practice. So I got a real good feel for not just what they did that day, but kind of the big picture and the vision and a couple of things jumped at me, you know, cause everybody's talking about with, and, and this would go for any NFL team, any college team. I think they, they, everyone's talking about, well, they got started and the defense, the offense is, isn't where they're supposed to be. The defense is ahead of them. Well, I've never been on a team at any level where when you start training camp where your defense better be ahead of your offense. Uh, if the offense is out there and they're tearing them apart and they're making plays from the get-go and the defense is trying to catch up, that's a I, it, it doesn't work that way in my opinion. So I kind of like where the Bears are at right now because defensively uh, they've had some great additions – and, uh, another year of Matt Eberflus' system, everything that goes along with it. So I like where they're at right now from an offense, defense, special teams. The second thing that I looked at was, you know, a lot of players, uh, they're, they run four or five in shorts, OTAs. And then you put the pads on and guess what? They become four, eight players. Right. They can't carry the pads. That's not the case with the Bears. This is a fast, Young football team. And I was impressed on their, and not just their energy level, but how quick they were across the field. And, and the last thing was that I walked out of there saying, wow, you know what? Ryan Poules, he has a plan. And this guy's done a good job. If you look at their free agents that they've signed, uh, and you look at the draft picks that they've drafted, you know, this this guy has got a plan and he has stayed with it. And, uh, you, you mentioned he just, you know, they just added Yannick, probably the, not just maybe the best edge rusher available now, but he's 29 years old. Right. And, and that's, that's kind of been a, a, uh, a foundation platform for the Bears. Every free agent, they didn't talk to anybody that was older than 28 years old. So they're a young football team moving forward with a lot of team
1: speed right now. And uh, they got some great competition going. They really do. You know, it, it is interesting. Um, the Chase Claypool acquisition got heat, but because Mooney's a smaller athlete, Claypool is a almost like a tight end. I understood it from body, from the body perspective. He You just didn't have anybody on your roster like him. So Cole Komet, Robert Tanya, Chase Claypool, those are big bodies downfield. Mooney, who I think is a terrific player, is tiny. Um I do worry about Claypool. He, last year, he kind of disappeared. Are they worried about him because they gave up a second-round pick for him? Yeah, they they are, but they
4: aren't. I'll tell you why, Colin. He's in his fourth year. He's in a contract year, and you know, you that that motivates players. Pressure, peer pressure, or money—that's what motivates these professional players. Let's get you know that that's real. And so they got Claypool right where they're going to get the best effort that he can possibly give. And we're going to find out what that is. You mentioned Mooney. That was another bright spot. They were talking about Mooney a month ago here in Chicago, maybe being ready for the opener. Hey, I saw him. and I was up there in full pads. He got knocked down and got right up off the ground and got back in the huddle. So he's back and then DJ Moore. And, and Komet, they, we, we know Cole Komet, but you know who might be the sleeper of their free agent signings? Robert Tunyon. Yeah. From Green Bay. This yeah. guy is a player. They yep. flex him. Out. They flex him out. And from an athletic standpoint, he's not going to be an every Don all-around player like Kamet, the physicalness. But you flex him out in a slot like they used to do with Gronk and Tony Gonzalez and get him one on one with the linebacker,
1: he's yep. got to win that battle. He, yeah, that's that was a good sign for the Bears. Yeah, it was. He's also good in the red zone. Smart player. Fine. He's a guy that gets open uh, in tight spots. So, no, I I think they're offensive. I think Justin Fields has to post eight or nine wins, has to show improvement. My guess is he does. Um, you know, I, they, uh, you coached the Dolphins for years and you know them very well. And it's a they're they're sort of in the in the league for me because of Tua's concussions. I just don't know what to make of them. But I did think of this. So they went and got Mike White a backup, and I thought to myself, generally speaking, even in blowouts, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Mahomes stay in the game. I could see Mike McDaniel saying, "Listen, we're up plus ten points, eight minutes left. We're getting two out of there." What would you do? Because it's not in an, any other injury. Dave, if he has a concussion, there's going to be so much public and medical pressure and media pressure. You can't play him for a month. He gets hurt September 14th. You can't play him until October 20th. How would you manage the Tua concussion situation?
4: Well, I, I think, you know, you're you're right. And it's almost to the point where, I, you know, they he went and did the what did he do? The karate or jujitsu or everything. And then he put on weight. I like the idea that he put on a little bit of weight. Okay. Cause he's a good enough athlete. He can carry it. That should give him strength. But I'll tell you the number one thing that I would tell him, we are not going to try to extend plays. I think that's when he, you know, it's going to have to be a situation where I drop back. I see my first read. If I don't like it, maybe get rid of the football. That's what I would be spending time with on Tua. You cannot hold the football because everybody talks about, oh, well, they're teaching them how to fall when you get hit. You know what they say? The guy that hits quarterbacks and causes turnovers, it's the guy a quarterback doesn't see. You know, right. so I, I don't buy this stuff at all. Here they come. Now I'm going to cradle right. I'm going to put my head in the. Cr- that doesn't happen that way. That's unrealistic. So he's because the guy's hitting him, he never sees them coming. So uh, I would just say, let's prevent holding the ball. I think that's the best answer. And don't over talk about it. Or it'll become a mental thing with the kid.
1: Well, the good news is Shanahan and Mike McDaniel run the same offense. And both those coaches like the ball out of your hands quickly. I mean, Garoppolo had some limitations. Dave, he got that thing. He got rid of that thing fast and accurately. And so, you know, Miami's got the Vic Fangio. I, I was told by somebody in the league that they thought Fangio was the best defensive mind in football today after Belichick. Um, in kind of layman's terms, what what makes Fangio tick? Like, what what are, what are guys like you? What do you hear about Fangio? He didn't have, you know, he didn't get a head coaching break until he was like late 60s, so he's probably not a big personality guy, but people that I talk to in the league just go on and on about his his schemes.
4: Yeah, I, I've known Vic for 30 years. In fact, when he was up at the Bears as a defensive coordinator uh, with Ron, uh, I, I was up there and we spent time together and just reminiscing and so forth. And So I studied him close. I've, I've coached against him. And the one thing that he is, he is not uh You know, he's not a big blitz guy. Okay. So he's he's a guy that's going to put the defense. He's a little bit of the Belichick mentality. What are you doing best? We're going to take that away. And they do not make mistakes. When you play against a Vic Fangio defense, you're not going to see guys running wide open down the field. And you're not going to see open gaps at the line of scrimmage. I mean, these guys are going to play hard and they're going to play sound. And they're going to make you out-execute them. And I think in today's NFL world where everybody's – all these offensive guys are geniuses, they get bored, Colin. You've heard me say this for years. Don't get bored. Most offensive coordinators get bored, okay? They they got bored. We, and we, we talk about the head coach, down in McDaniels. He got hired because he was the run coordinator at San Francisco and they're playing the uh, Buffalo Bills and they got a third-team quarterback in there last year. The kid from Kansas State, I'm th- trying to think of his name. Skyler Thompson. Skylar Thompson. And they throw the ball twice as much as they run it. If they run the ball in the fourth quarter, they win that game. I mean, it makes – it made no sense to me. So, how do you help Tua and how can you help that defense? You know, and I know it's tempting when you got Tariq Hill and you got – you got Kalen uh, Waddle. Uh, Waddle. Uh, you, you got a lot of skilled talent there. The attempt is to throw it, throw it, throw it. But I tell you what, they have to be balanced. If they're going to be a, a serious contender, the Miami Dolphins have to be balanced, in my opinion, and that's going to help that defense, and that's going to really help Tua.
1: What did you make as somebody with 30-plus years in football of Sean Payton publicly ripping Nathaniel Hackett? Did it catch you off guard? Yes, it, it totally
4: caught me off guard. And, and I'll tell you what, when I was when I was at USC, we had Bill Walsh come in once to we, we had a pack. It was I oh got I guess it was pack eight or pack 10. I think it was pack eight back then. It, it, before oh, Arizona I, schools, it was. I'm, I'm dating myself, but he came. We used to have an assistant coaches golf tournament. We always had it at Stanford because they had a nice golf course up there on campus. And we would all go up there and we would bring it and Bill Walsh came in and talked to us. And he said, let me tell you young or something. And we were just in our thirties just turning. He says, all you guys are probably going to get fired. He says, we are, it happens to all of us. He says, and when you get fired, a couple of rules in coaching, get out of the city as quick as you can. Don't sit there because everything that the fans and media are going to talk about is everything's going to be better. All of a sudden, this team is going to be tougher and this team is going to be smarter. Think about it. He says, it's going to happen. Don't – you don't want to be reading and hear that stuff. Well, with that being said, uh, that was what disappointed me the most is here's Sean, another coach, and just respect. And everybody talks about code. I don't know what the code and all that. I would just say is one man to another in the same profession – Sean, you know what goes into winning a game and winning, having a successful season. Your GM is involved, right? Your quarterback, Russell. I can go right across the board. There's a lot of people involved that the head coach does not necessarily have control over in the circumstances. And it really was disappointing to me because Sean knows better. And he came up like all of us did in this profession and and you just don't see that happening and uh just because of respect for another guy and, and it d- just disappointed me
2: let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket legal shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years they connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print or you finally want to get that will done legal shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back no matter what the future brings sign up today at legalshield.com forward slash I heart pplsi does not provide legal representation or advice see a plan for complete terms
1: this is it we've got an amex platinum pro on our hands ladies and gentlemen we haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the centurion
5: lounge (sighs) is he connecting to complimentary wi-fi oh my
1: look at that he is And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated
0: card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
1: I thought HBO, Aaron's using it as a rebrand. I'm a good guy. I get along with others. I'm not selfish. I'm not arrogant. Um, and I think Tom Brady had a bit of a rebrand when he went to Tampa. Like, hey, I have a personality. I'm fun. It's helped his business and endorsements. Sure. I thought Aaron came across as, hey, man, I got to do this thing. I'm going to rebrand it. It's it, it. And I think you can watch HBO and Aaron are trying to convince you, hey, I'm a different guy and I'm not the bad guy the media portrays me as. I don't think it's wrong. I think it's pretty smart. But that's how it felt to me. It's a rebrand. Aaron's all in and HBO's helping him. And I'm not criticizing HBO. I think they think that's an interesting, captivating part of the the Jet story. Well, it totally is. I've been out on Hard Knocks.
5: Every other show eventually gets canceled or stops and that keeps going. But if you're just going to give me Aaron Rodgers, Hackett and Sala for four episodes, I'm in. Because I don't care about the random undrafted free agent that's eventually going to get cut but I can watch Aaron Rodgers and Hackett figure out this offense like that that to me is intriguing he's done a rebrand really since he showed up right i mean the whole thing of being there in the off season taking all the young guys out to Madison Square Garden, going to the concerts with, again, the young guys, which was the issue last year. Hey, Aaron, we got a lot of young guys. I'm not coming in the offseason. Then he pulls the Brady, which he deserves credit for because I don't care who you are. $35 million, a lot of money, gives it back to help the team. And he even said, it's not even just for this year. It's about the big picture. I'm in, I believe what they say. And they've clearly done a good job of this process of him believing, trusting them. You and I talked about it a couple weeks ago. I think it's easier too when the super rich owner tells you like, Hey man, I'll cut this check for this guy. We'll do this guy. I'll tell Joe, we have no problem trading a first round pick next year. If we need to go get our Trent Williams or we'll do whatever it takes for you. Right. A little NBA style. And that's how I think he's being treated a lot like Tom was treated. So it's easy to be happy when everyone's
1: kind of kissing your ass. Like, let's face it. They're kissing his ass as they should be. They're desperate. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of times, um, the Dallas Cowboys are brought up, and I'm and I'm guilty of this, and I don't think I'm guilty. I just think this is my business plan is when I was a local radio host, you would talk about local teams. When I got the syndicated job, it became very obvious to me that you couldn't just talk any team you wanted to, that you had to talk the biggest brands, yeah. and that would accumulate the largest audience. So very early, I was into Brady and LeBron, Notre Dame football, Duke basketball, Yankees baseball. I've moved off baseball a lot since the 20 years ago that I started doing it, a syndicated radio, but the Dallas Cowboys, the Packers, the Steelers have a lot of reach, but I actually think this version of Dallas, this season is kind of fascinating. Dak. And there's a clear correlation. The more you ask of him, the more mistakes he makes. I mean, there's a line of Dak, markation 35 or more throws. He's way under 500. 33 or fewer, he's a really good quarterback. And so his most efficient year as a pro was year one. Zeke, number two in rushing yards, best online in football. Dak was on the cheap. The next year, year two, John, if you remember, Zeke suspended six games. In those six games, Dak had five touchdowns and seven picks. The minute you asked him to do more... He provided more mistakes. Yeah. So here we go into this year. He's been a Pro Bowler twice in both those years. Zeke led the NFL in rushing attempts and yards. Zeke's gone. O line rebuild. Working in a new receiver. Lost an elite offensive coordinator. And Dak now is having a camp full of interceptions. I I love this defense. What are we going to get from Dak this year? Because there is a correlation. The more you need, the more mistakes you get. It's not arguable at this point.
5: I think uh, I'm I'm not just saying this because you're here. I, I make a point to listen to you have Albert Breer on every week. I think he's, he can articulate. He's He's to me, one of the best hybrid of just knowing guys in the league, articulating what's going on and just, and being able to report just his interactions with people. And he said something to you about what McCarthy said to him about they're asking Dak to ad-lib and be a little bit more of a playmaker. And when I heard that, my jaw dropped. Like, Mike, th- this is not Aaron Rodgers here, buddy. The reason he was a fourth-round pick because his physical attribute, he's a good athlete. He does not have a great arm. The clip of there was a pick, I don't know, he's throwing a bunch, but yesterday or the, the day before, yes. uh, like a post-route where Diggs undercut it. Rodgers, y- you can miss that ball deep. You can't miss it short. That's where the ball Ever. always gets picked off. And to me, Dak is much closer w- from an arm standpoint to uh, Alex Smith, to uh, Kirk Cousins, play within the context of the offense. I can have Rodgers, Allen, or Mahomes at living because they're throwing 100 miles an hour. So, well, who did McCarthy have the most success with his career? Aaron Rodgers. So maybe in his mind, he's thinking that if that if that is honestly their mindset, I think they're batshit crazy. And, and that is going to be a disaster of just trying to have him be a quote unquote playmaker. The reason Cousins is having so much success over the last four or five years statistically in his teams that their defense is good, consistently go to play, he just plays within the offense. And when Dak does that, he's pretty good too. But when he starts ad libbing, I, I do. I mean, that pass, his arm is actually for a guy that's big. Right. Just because if you've ever met Alex Smith, he's six, four, right. Just because you're six, four does not mean you throw a hundred miles an hour. Right. Pedro Martinez was short. He threw 97. So Tim Linscom was small. Some small guys throw harder. Baker actually has a pretty good arm for a small guy. Oh, right. Aaron Ky- Rodgers is six, one and a half to Yeah. So it just, <laughs> it doesn't translate. And so I, maybe it's because they're not as confident. Pollard's a little more of a hybrid back, not a true like pound it between the tackles and Smith style but last time I checked, when they were winning a bunch, Trey Aikman wasn't a big ad-libber, right? He just he kind of just played the
1: position like it's
5: supposed to be played.
1: Is there a team? Um, Carolina, for me, they played the Packers yesterday and gave Aaron some trouble. Um, I I have, you know, there's always a team in this league that doubles their win total. So last year, my big one was Minnesota. Now, they didn't double their win total, but I said most improved yeah, team in the league. Awesome. So, yeah, so I got that one right. I There's something about Carolina. I love Reich. He, he makes your quarterback more efficient. I think Bryce Young is one of those lower ceiling but ready to play today. I think their front seven's good. I think their own line due to the draft last couple of years is now more than competent. Um, you know, And the division's a little vulnerable. Carolina's my... As, as as Aaron Rodgers found out in the inner squad scrimmage, they got dudes. They yeah, got real they dudes. They got talent. Um, do you have a team like that for you that you just, people look at it and say five or six and you're like, uh, I watched Carolina a couple games last year without Reich. They're, they're spicy. Yeah, they, they can play. They definitely have a lot of talent. They, they, uh,
5: The team I told you, I think we talked about this over the summer, was Washington. I'm going to throw that take into the garbage. (laughs) I'm not going there. And I was kind (laughs) of low on the Giants. I thought they would come back. But the one thing, if Darren Waller is healthy and high at the receiver from Tennessee that is running like Usain Bolt, no one can can cover him. They might actually, and now Saquon's in a good place. Maybe they get back to 10-11. To me, the team, talking with some people in Jacksonville, I don't know how great the defense is going to be, but the division stinks. Could they be a top two or three offense in the league? I mean, Doug Peterson is just tailor-made for modern-day NFL. His personality, his understanding, like obviously he's the play caller. He succeeded there. Him dealing with Trevor. Trevor last year, what, 25 touchdowns? Could this year be one of those like 38 touchdowns? You get Calvin Ridley, who I'm told is just, they're blown away by him. We saw Christian Kirk was a really good signing for him. ETN's like the modern-day hybrid back. Now, you, you never want to discount Tennessee, and I have. But I do, you know, you got to take Vrabel very seriously. I think in a a coaching draft, he'd be a top five pick. I mean, he's the real deal. But the the talent's just not quite there. Could be a little bit of a, you know, comeback year. So I think the Jags, I don't like them as a Super Bowl contender just because their defense is going to be good enough. But last year... I don't want to call it hollow because that was a big year, especially based on the urban year. But I think this year could be feel more real than last year was. And you can kind of see like they're a piece or two away on defense. Maybe get their Nick Bosa or their Brian Burns or something and then watch out. Well,
1: yeah, I thought they played the Chiefs twice last year. And I literally watching both games, I had the same feeling. It's like the NBA playoffs. Denver two years ago. Sacramento this year in the NBA they're just not ready to win big close games yet. I think the Kings will be next year yeah. with De'Aaron Fox and I watched Jacksonville I thought, "Oh, they're a year away. They need to lose to Kansas City twice. They don't know how to win. They don't they don't know how to put those 12-play drives together the way Mahomes and Reed and Kelsey. They they're good. They don't know how to manipulate games. So Jacksonville, I think, has to get to that point, and that's a real thing. Like the really good teams, New England manipulated games where they were outplayed. I think Kansas City does Big that. God. I think yeah. And I'm like, Jacksonville just has talent. They just don't know how to. They don't know how to win games. that don't play perfect
5: football. Well, they might win or lose the game, but the three guys in the AFC, Mahomes, Allen, and Burrow, never walk on the field against the other guy, and definitely the rest of the league thinking that they're not the best player on the field, and they're going to win the fucking game. And I wonder if Trevor you know, for the first time in the league, had a taste of that last year, had the big, you know, had it couldn't have gone any worse, right? He, he basically, if he was a golfer, hit like seven shots out of bounds on the first hole in the first half against the Chargers. And then to me, the mental fortitude, I mean, that, that, he easily could have gone in the tank and no one would have blamed him. Like, you know, first playoff taste, bad game, threw a bunch of picks. He did not flinch, came back, made a bunch of plays. So I would expect just a massive year from him. And, and to me, Doug, Has a personality a lot like Andy, very even keel, not a big screamer, offensive guy, former quarterback, you know, just kind of he's just an NFL guy. He just he just gets pros. And I think he's going to be really good for them. He has been.
1: Um, One thing you touched on this week, and I want to bring it back for people that didn't hear it, is your take on Ron Rivera and Eric Bieniemy, where Ron not only stepped in it, he created it yeah. with the comments about Bieniemy. Take our audience here back to that, because I thought it was a, a poignant uh, point about, um, in the NFL, there's enough landmines. Don't throw your own
5: grenades. Well, to me, there's a reason, and I don't blame coaches for lying, right? It's not, it doesn't behoove them to give out information that just creates chaos most people on the team are well under 30 live on their phone you got to be very careful it's why so many coaches don't really say anything and when they do it all leans positive for him to come out and acknowledge it'd be one thing right if there was something simmering there was a powerful story from a wicker sham from the athletic would be like what's going on he gets asked about it any kind of steps on it you would understand it maybe you got cornered a little bit in a press conference that was not the case at all i don't know about you i hadn't heard anything Right, unless you knew a player or someone on the staff, no one would have been talking about it. So for him just to acknowledge that was borderline unprecedented. I mean, you, you never see that in the end of unless, you know, is, is he already trying to point the finger at him? He sees it not going well. Ron, the thing it's not like Ron is some. Modern day, progressive, easygoing NFL coach. This guy's an old school screamer, yeller, defensive guy. So he wouldn't have a problem with you coaching hard. Does he think it's not going well? Does he does he see our quarterback uh, situation is a disaster? I've seen some headlines multiple times. Part of the reason I started getting off them before this story even kind of came out because of Ron. Was because he kept mentioning Jacoby Brissett. He kept don't sleep on Jacoby Brissett. I know, and I went, "What we've seen Jacoby. Just keep him as your backup." What 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 are we talking about? So maybe there's some butting of heads when it comes to personnel. You got new ownership. Let's face it. If if Ron were to go seven and ten, or like his, he will not only get fired, he's never going to get a head coaching job again. Like this is his career's over. So it it did feel a little bit like he's pointing the finger. Not just a bizarre story, just one you never see. You never see. Coaching hard? what, What does that even mean? You go to a practice in high school, people are getting screamed at. It's not even that weird.